What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today Sean talks with Joshua Spodek who is the best-selling author of Leadership Step by Step and host of the award-winning Leadership and the Environment podcast Joshua is an adjunct professor at NYU, leadership coach and workshop leader for the Columbia Business School, columnist for Inc., and founder of SpodekAcademy.com. He holds five Ivy League degrees and studied under a Nobel Prize winner. He helped build an X-ray observational satellite for NASA, co-founded and has led as CEO or COO of several ventures, and holds six patents. If that wasn't enough, Joshua has visited North Korea twice, swam across the Hudson River, and has done burpees every single day for seven years, 100,000 and counting. This episode will get you motivated to start implementing a self-imposed daily challenging healthy activity. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Looking to freshen up your wardrobe for the summer season? Having trouble finding a brand whose products are functionally built to move and sweat in, but designed with a casual aesthetic aimed at everyday life? Then Viore is the clothing brand you've been looking for. Viore merges technical clothing with a West Coast vibe that looks and fits great. Viore's motto is built to move in, styled for life. They have a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore has incorporated innovative fabrics that feature anti-odor finishes, moisture wicking, and quick dry finishes. My favorite being Sea Cell, which is a sustainably sourced fiber that uses a blend of algae and wood pulp to create the most comfortable shirts you've ever felt. They really are. They're incredible. They're also anti-odor and filled with vitamins and nutrients that are released when you sweat. To receive 25% off, yes, that's 25% off your order, head to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com and use discount code W-G-Y-T. If at any point you're unsatisfied with your purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your entire order with a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. VioriClothing.com, discount code WGYT for 25% off your order. Joshua, I want to start with burpees. Let's start there. (laughs) I'm happy to start with burpees. So how did you first come across this, this methodology, I guess, as you will, that you're going to start doing burpees every single day? 
yeah, I did not intend for that to happen. I didn't even look for that to happen. Because I read an article in the New York Times where they asked some fitness people, what's, if you could name the single best exercise, what would it be? And they, they asked a bunch of people and, you know, like they said, the butterfly swim stroke is really all over body, amazing, but you need a swimming pool and it's really hard to do. So that one, they, you know, in principle, it's great. Then they said the burpee. And I never knew what a burpee was, but they said it works all these major muscle groups and the heart and lungs and so forth and coordination and balance. And then, but then they said, but who would do just burpees? And then they, they ended up settling with walking. And, you know, everyone, if you got legs, you can walk and you can, uh, it's always available. But so I started looking at burpees. And so I found out that it's, it's this exercise that's really effective. And most importantly, it doesn't need equipment. It doesn't need a trainer. It doesn't matter what the weather is. You don't, there's very low risk of injury. And it, there's basically no excuse not to do it. So I mentioned it to a friend and just, you know, he didn't know what burpees were either. So he ended up doing like that night after I spoke to him, this is actually months after I read the article, he wrote me and said, I can't, Josh, I can't even do 10 burpees. So I thought, oh, I, I don't think I'd done a burpee yet. So I did 10 and I wrote him back and had the idea to do 10 burpees a day for 30 days. No idea of, you know, people since have been like, oh, you know, it takes a certain number of days to start a habit or all this. I don't know. That wasn't what I was trying to do or cared about. And so for 30 days, we would email or call or text each other just to say that we finished them. But 10 became 11, 11 became 12. At one point, we split to do one set in the morning and one set in the evening, so it doubled. And see, the reason I was having a hard time saying that was, is calling that a starting point was that I've been pretty, I, I really like the effect on my mind and body of fitness. and. I played ultimate Frisbee at nationals and world's level for a good 15, 20 years. And this was now, I was no longer, I guess at this point I would have been in my late thirties and you know, the competition isn't as good and it's harder to get teams together. So I missed that. I'd started running marathons, but marathons are not really fun and they take a lot of time to train for. And I got a gym down the street. I mean, I live in New York. The gym is like half a block away and but I also know that sometimes when it's raining, I'm not going to go. And as I'm doing these burpees, I'm thinking, this can replace all that stuff that wasn't working. And so I said, I'm going to do, I just had this idea, like, maybe I should just do burpees. Like, maybe that'll be my thing. Because this fitness expert said it's great. And as I thought about it, I was like, am I going to do burpees until I'm like 70, 80, 90 years old? And gradually the idea stuck. And that was all within, within the first month. I was like, I'm going to keep doing these. And then the more that I've done them, the things I could never have imagined getting out of burpees, I'm getting out of them. And to this day, I have not spent a single penny on doing it. And I got the definition on my abs. When I decide to go running, I'm like, I can just, like, I can just go running. And even if I haven't run for a long time, I can just keep going. Like my heart, which is to say, like my heart and lungs are in great condition. Like, uh, um, there's this lunch that I go to at NYU where I teach and, uh, it's, you know, it's a free lunch. So I like going, but it's not the most healthy food and it's on the 11th floor. So when I go, I always walk up the stairs and that's not a big deal because 11 flights of stairs is not such a big deal compared to doing burpees. So I don't know. Sorry for the long answer. If that was too no, much. I love it. How many burpees are you, are you up to now? Yeah. And let's see the last I checked. 
I don't keep track religiously, like, or, or, or um, I don't keep track. Um, like I don't have an app. I don't, that's a really, I really don't like the idea of using an app. To me, this is a part of my life. It's, and, and I keep track less and less all the time. So I know that I do roughly 54 a day now and working my way up from 10 a day. I passed a hundred thousand a while ago. So I'm probably around 110,000 now, but, and for a while, you know, when I write posts on it, I kind of play it up, but in my heart and in my mind, it's becoming more and more like brushing my teeth. It burns a lot more calories and it's a lot harder, but I simply would not think of going to sleep without brushing my teeth. It's inconceivable. And I don't keep track of how many, like, it's not like I have an app, like, did I brush my teeth today? I just, I know if I've gone to sleep without brushing my teeth. I know if I've gotten out of bed and like started my day and I haven't brushed my teeth. I don't need to manage that process. Likewise with burpees, it's, it's like, I, I'm not going to, it's, you hear me, like, how do I express that? It's like, to go to sleep without doing my burpees, it's like. It's inconceivable. I mean, it's something that you've just ingrained almost in your DNA. So, I mean, I'm wondering how long did it take before burpees were the same thing as brushing your teeth? Well, it's still not the same because brushing my teeth is a lot easier. <laughs> but I mean, think of what it feels like. I, mean, I don't know what it's like for you, but think of what it would feel like to go to sleep with your teeth unbrushed. Is it, what does that feel like? I don't know. Maybe you don't brush your teeth. I don't know. But most <laughs> no. people, I know, everyone, actually everyone I know brushes their teeth every day, as far as I know. Yeah. No, I mean, I could count on one hand the times in my life that I've gone to bed without brushing my teeth. <laughs> yeah. I, it, the only thing, I, I, it's now long ago that I was in college. All I can think of is probably in college, there were probably mornings when I woke up coming home drunk, so drunk that I just fell asleep. And I would bet the first thing I did when I woke up was brush my teeth. So it, it took a long time, but I'll, I can also tell you that I've picked up other habits since then. You know, my SIDCHA term, self-imposed daily challenging healthy activity. I have several other SIDCHAs and they've, they've picked up a lot faster. I think there's a skill or a set of skills that you develop when you pick up one habit, it makes the next habit easier to pick up. And you pick up two or three or four, then, you know, deliberately picking them up and not, not simple ones like reading the paper, but challenging ones like exercise that makes you sweat. Or, you know, I pick up a piece of trash every day out in the street and that's actually pretty easy. It doesn't, you don't break a sweat. It doesn't take much time, but man, oh man, that changes your view on the world of how much garbage people put on the streets. I mean, that's, I can only imagine just thinking uh, you, about- Actually, you can do more than imagine because you can do it if you want. I mean, if, I don't know, where are you? Uh, I'm based just outside of Philadelphia. So believe me, <laughs> driving downtown, uh, there's, there's plenty of trash on those streets. Yeah, I grew up in Philly. So uh, I don't know when this is going up, but we just won the Super Bowl last we night. did. <laughs> <laughs> After which I did my burpees. Actually, it's funny because I was visiting my sister out in Queens and that's, um, it took over an hour to get back because the trains are, it's Sunday night. And my brother-in-law, her husband, she, he also, we keep track with each other of like, he's, he's not doing burpees, but he has his own sitcha, which is rowing. And he was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it because it's late at night and he's full because eating Super Bowl food. I'm like, of course I'm going to do it. Like, there's no question when I get home and I got home, I don't know, probably like 1230, 1am. And yeah, I just did it. Where did you first develop that mindset? I know when you were first talking about starting these burpees, it said it took you a few months to even implement them. I mean, were you originally looking for something to challenge yourself or did you just kind of come across this and say, hey, this sounds like a good idea? 
I was not looking for it at all. I, I mean, I didn't plan to find that article. I didn't plan for my friend to write back and said he did 10 burpees. It was, you know, I put a huge value, uh, not huge, but I put a much greater value on experiential learning today as largely as a result of teaching and learning how people learn. And who was I talking to the other day about, oh yeah, one of my clients, uh, he was talking about how he's trying to move from thinking and analyzing purely to, you know, you want, still want to think and analyze, you want to act thoughtfully, but moving more toward action. And it's a, that's a big shift because I would spend most of my life analyzing and analyzing and thinking and there's a certain reward that you feel from that, but it's nowhere near the reward you get from doing things. So there's a lot more, I've now adopted much more. Like if I hear of something that's, um, something that might work out for me, I'll try it a few times before trying to plan it all out. Like since the burpees, my avoiding packaged food is another big one. And I planned and analyzed for probably six months from when I had the idea to go for a week without packaged food to one day when I finally said, I just got to do this. And I should have, I could have done it a long time before. And it's been one of the greatest improvements to my life that I've ever done because my diet is so much better now than it ever used to be. And so that it's taken me a long time to go from analyze, figure out, am I doing the best thing possible? Is there a better way to do it? That's in my experience and listeners, they're, experience may be different, but in my experience, that's like the slowest way to find out the best way to do things. Or this is slower than trying and iterating and trying and iterating and listening to how to do it better. And like my, the burpees are now, it's not just burpees. I, let's see, it's burpees followed by stretch, followed by um, some ab stuff, followed by some back stuff, followed by some curls. Uh, and, and this is every day, correct? Twice a day. Twice a every day. day. So, yeah. So, so it's, can you actually go through then kind of what your day looks like? I'm sure throughout the middle of your day, there's a ton that you, you don't control and variables. But I think for the listeners, just you seem like you're doing a great job of really setting yourself up for success. So I'd like to hear that. Well, okay. I'll start with the, the what I've learned and what's driving a lot of it is that when I find something that I value, I try to make it a systematic part of my life. That is, the example I usually give is when I come home, I live on the fifth floor of a building and I would often decide or choose, I would try to decide, should I take the elevators or the, the elevator or the stairs? Cause the elevators, it's easier and it's more comfortable stairs. I get a bit of exercise. And one day I thought, I don't value this decision. It's not like that's something I like thinking about. And if I'm thinking about something and then I get home and now the interesting thing I was thinking about gets de derailed by, should I take the elevator or stairs? I just, it's better for me to pick one and go with it. So I just decided I'm, gonna just, I'm just gonna take the stairs. And now I don't think about it. So it's about freedom, mental freedom. So fitness is important to me. I don't wanna decide, am I gonna go to the gym or not? Blah, 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 blah. It's the burning the calories as com complex, as hard as it is, is it's, it's nothing compared to the mental anguish and going like, should I go to the gym or not? And like. I just found something that there's no way that I can, ex there's no excuse for not doing it. Like I, I just had a back injury and it wasn't, it was painful to do the burpees, but it wasn't hurting me anymore. And I could do them. So I just do them. And okay. So I just automate and systematize things that are important to me so that they're a part of my life. 
So when I wake up, it's, I start, the first thing I do in the morning is, well, actually the first thing I do is turn, is, I don't know if you saw my habit of like, I get up in under a minute and turn off the alarm and make my bed in under a minute. Then I go to the bathroom, I come back out, I do the, the, the 10 minute calisthenics routine, which is burpee based, but it's got the other stuff. Then I eat breakfast, which is generally, it's, you know, oatmeal with fruit and the fruit is, oh man, I really look forward to my oatmeal in the morning. How long have you been having that breakfast? Yeah, I'm trying to think back. It's not like I decided like this is it, but I, I know that like the cereal aisle in the supermarket is to me, it's horrible. It's like way, it's like all this packaging and they've taken out all the fiber. And so they, they enrich it with vitamins, which aren't really, it, oh man, it, the whole <laughs> philosophy behind the breakfast cereals is just to me a big step in the wrong direction for living a life of health and delicious. And anyway, so I don't know. I, I know that back in grad school, I was eating oatmeal. So that would be in the nineties, but I wasn't eating as much fresh fruit. Now there's fresh fruit is a bigger part of it. Like I would, I do like raisins and cinnamon, which, you know, not bad, but now it's like whatever's in season I get from the farmer's markets or yeah. So or from, from the farm that I get delivered from. So, and then at the end of my day, I do the calisthenics routine to finish off. And every other day I do uh, either, I alternate between rowing or my weight routine, which is these four kettlebells I have at home. And so, and then every day I also write a blog post. So that's roughly an hour to do. And those, that, those, the time for those can vary. Sometimes I do them in the morning, sometimes in the evening, sometimes in the middle of the day, depending on what my schedule that day is like. But those are the things that I don't um, vary, that I do them, I do them. So I don't know, that's like the structure of my, of my day. It's, it's built around uh, getting my heart and lungs pumping, uh, my muscles. I guess I'm not really building them now, it's really just keeping them where they are. You know, and I take a shower in the morning, I brush my teeth in the morning, I take a, I brush my teeth in the evening. But then the rest of my day is like free to do what I want. Then I'm thinking about stuff that I care about as opposed to wondering about the basics, if that makes sense. No, completely. Were, were you always like this? I know you mentioned- No, that. not at all. Sorry to cut, no, <laughs> sorry no. to cut you off. <laughs> I'm all, excited to I mean, hear about this. Immediately, it's funny because you're mentioning Philadelphia growing up. I, I just remember coming home and I'd watch TV. And actually, before high school, I wasn't, fitness was, I mean, my, my oldest stepbrother, who'd like pinch my fat and be like, you're chubby. And uh, by today's standards, it's, I mean, this country, I think we're like 80% overweight and obese. So I wasn't on the scale of today, but it wasn't, fitness wasn't a big thing for me. I mean, I, I knew that. I preferred being fit to not fit, but I didn't actually act on it. Um, and for that matter, even like graduate school, getting my PhD in physics, school growing up wasn't, I didn't really care much about it. It was really, I took a year off from school and came back from a year in Paris. This is 1990. What was your year in Paris like? It was uh, 1990, so this is a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, my you know, those neurons have been repurposed for lots of other things. I can tell you that it was, it was a great increase to my independence. I, I didn't, 
like I put all my savings together and I had a thousand bucks and that's, I needed to, my, my only rule was don't come back until I guess the school year. Cause I went there in, I think October, maybe September. And my rule is I, I'm not going to come back until June. So that meant I'd have to make money there. I'd have to like get, you know, somehow live there. And I wasn't there with school. I was there independent. I was taking a year off. So that independence was great. Um, I miss it, man. I love Paris. I mean, I've made some really great friends and love the city. Uh, and I think I got a lot of, when I travel now, I don't plan ahead. I just, I like the adventure of discovery and making things work. And I prefer, I, I'm not into travel, go for a weekend, check it out, come back. I like to, if I can, I like to spend a little more time there. So I spent a year in Shanghai since then. Um, I spent maybe not a whole lot of travel, but let's see. I mean, I'd learned some French. My French is, I, now it's mostly gone. Actually, I take it back. I was there a couple of years ago and I remembered more than I thought that I did. Um, it's hard for me to say more than that. It was a long time ago. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like it was, it was the right decision even though I was living on like a dollar a day for a long time. I'm curious the different perspectives you get during that time though, that year away, learning to live on a dollar and even just your overall curiosity about the world. Any, any little thing that you remember from those times? Uh, let's see, to remember like- I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated. What, what sparked you to take the year off? I had, I came back, to, I had my first two years in school. And so I'd come back to school. I, I'd like moved in my dorm for, to start junior year, but had not yet registered for classes. And I was on campus over the summer for some reason that summer. And so all my friends were off at home or whatever they were doing. But I was in, this is at Columbia College. And so I've been in New York over the summer. I don't remember what I did, but I was really looking forward to everyone coming back because uh, I was playing ultimate and the team was, I was really close with a bunch of players. And when they came back, things weren't how I expected them to be. Something wasn't right. I, it's a long time ago, so I don't remember what. And I'd skipped a year in high school. So I was a year younger than most of my classmates. And so I felt like I had a, a, a year to spare that I could play with. I had taken French classes. Ah, and the summer before that one, I'd spent that summer in Paris why I'd gotten somehow someone had paid for my flight. And um, my dad is a professor, history professor. And sometimes he gets these grants and I think he was able to bring me over on one of his grants to like, to spend a year in Paris, uh, summer in Paris. So I'd been there. I knew my way around a little bit. I had a year to spare. Things weren't quite right in New York. I hadn't spent the money to, to register for that semester. So I just, decided not to go to school that year and to take a year off and go to Paris. And nothing more than that. It was figured out once I get there. And if I had, I, I anticipated that at the time, a trip back would be somewhere, it's like $150 for a plane flight. So I knew that if I got down to the last 150, I'd have to decide, am I going to go all in to stay? Or am I going to buy my ticket back home with my tail between my legs? And so it didn't come to that. I did stay the whole time. But it was that kind of forcing stuff on me. I think I was wanting to become independent of the, the control that I felt coming from home that I didn't like. 
And so there's a lot of reactivity in there, reacting to my family and trying to, what's the word, assert myself as an individual, become a man. So that part, I think some of that was reactive that I think I could have handled more, mm, less drastically. You know, when you, when you don't know stuff, things to be, tend to be black and white. And when you master something, you get the nuances and the shades of gray in between, and you don't have to just, if you're not doing this, you have to do the complete opposite. But that's how you get the nuances through experiences like that. Yeah, I want to dive a little deeper on that. I mean, we have a lot of young listeners that are thinking about that transition year and also thinking about switching jobs. Uh, I get a lot of questions about that. Any advice you have? I know you mentioned it's it's not completely black or white. If you, if you're in one career path and, and you're you're unsatisfied and unhappy, you don't need to make a complete radical shift. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and and where you really acquired these thought principles around that? You know, it's I mean, some things only come with experience, and I couldn't have. You, some things you have to do to find out what you don't know. Or you can just stay protected, but then it's not, you're not living your life anymore. It's, I guess, a lot of choices. There's, if you go to my, uh, on my blog and you search for my Harvard talk, there's my first Harvard talk was, um, it was on choosing, making decisions, life level decisions. And there's a lot more to it. I'm not going to go to the whole thing and people can go and watch the video. But sometimes you try to, it's nice to, try to make the right choice, to look at the options, to weigh them all out, find out the pros and cons and say, this is the better option. I will do that. But there are many choices in life where you simply cannot possibly get all the information you would like to have. I don't know what my trip to Paris is going to be like without actually going. And by virtue of going, I take away the choices of not going. So you have to, at some, sometimes, and this can be, what are the choices? It can be like, do I want to go back to grad school and get a, a degree, which might get me a more high paying job or should I go for the, uh, a good paying job now? Should I, I mean, the big ones are like, should I have kids or not? It's like, you can't undo that choice. You, well, I mean, if you don't have kids, you can always have kids later, but if you have kids, you can't undo that one. Should I go to live in Paris for a year or not? Should I, you know, these are the types of stories. Should I, should I make this person my girlfriend or boyfriend or should I keep playing the field or something like that? You can't tell until you do it. So, I prefer not to try to, I mean, try to find out what you can. Sometimes you find out information and the choice becomes obvious, which to do. But for the big important ones, that's not the case. There's no separate universe where you can press the giant rewind button of life and go back in time and undo a choice. So I reframe the perspective in my mind, which is it's not what's the best option, but have I, have I done what I can to rule out the horrible things, like the choices that I know I'll regret. Of what remains, if there's more than one, it's not which is best. I can't tell. If they're roughly equal, then my question is, will I, once I make the choice, will I do everything I can to own this and make the best of it that I possibly can? I guess my model for it is if you're skiing, if you, when you're skiing, sometimes you go and there's like the path goes left or right and you don't know which, you, you can't see past the next turn. So which do you do? You don't know. You just got to ski. Once you pick one, the last thing you want to do is stand there. The last thing I want to do is stand there and like watch other people ski as you stand there getting colder and colder and colder, trying to decide 
trying to imagine what's past the next turn when you don't really know. I think you just go. And then once you go, the best thing you can do is to make that ski run the best ski run you possibly can and have the best time you can. And that's what I do in life is if I can tell, which is a pat, like if the sign says this was like a double diamond and I'm not ready for that. And this one says it's blue and I can handle that then. Okay. Go with the blue. But if they're both ones that I can handle, but I just don't know which it is, just go with one and enjoy it as best I can. So I went to Paris and the best thing I can do is once there, enjoy the best I can. Don't, it doesn't make sense to imagine, oh, what I could have done. That doesn't make my life any better. I can use that mental effort for thinking about what to do tomorrow here. I love how you reframed that perspective. And a little while ago, you mentioned about just your daily blog. And I want to know the motivation behind that and expressing your ideas via the blog. Where did that come from? Well, I mean, people were blogging for a while before I did, and it was getting more popular. And some, I guess people told me I have interesting ideas and they're like, you should write a blog. And for a while I pushed back because I felt like it was just people writing about puppies or about what they, like in, insignificant stuff. And it seemed like so much mental masturbation to me just doing it now in public. And I didn't really see much to it. And eventually a friend of mine persuaded me and he set up my, this is before WordPress and he set up a page for me to make a blog. And I wrote every now and then. And then another friend of mine was writing a lot more blogs, a lot more blog stuff. And he pointed out that WordPress was taking over and just use WordPress. And he came over and he installed it. And the fateful thing that he said was, I asked him, how often do you post? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a couple times a week. And he looks at me like we're joking around and he turns and like suddenly becomes his face. It's like, he's like, uh, not like grave, but like, like serious, no joking. He goes every day. If you miss one day, you can miss two. If you miss two, it's all over. And that became my first daily habit that like my first Sidcha that really stuck. And those words, that's what makes it, it's so much easier to post than it is to let your mind feel like, oh no, I missed one. Maybe it'll fall apart one day. I like the value that writing brings to my life. And it's so much easier just to say, all right, I'm going to post every day. So it was him saying that followed by the reward that I felt and then realizing that all the challenges that I was nervous about of how do I come up with ideas and how do I make sure that I have time in the day and what about quality and stuff that all worked out by doing much more than by planning. Like how do I come up with ideas? That's the question I get the most. I'm not I don't know. Maybe people read my blog and they're like, this is stupid. I don't know, but I'm not writing for them. And the way I come up with ideas is I develop the skills for coming up with ideas by coming up with ideas. It's like, how do you build muscle? It's like you lift, you, you build muscle and that helps you build more muscle. So then what does that idea generation look like? I mean, you mentioned in terms of building muscle, but what about building additional ideas? Are there certain activities you do? Oh, it's changed over the years. I mean, now it's, I don't really think about it too much, but I have a file on my computer. Sometimes when I get home, it's late. I don't really want to, you know, I haven't written that day and I just want to go to sleep. I'll go to that file and pick an idea that I can write quickly. Uh, but it's, it's, I think more important than how do I do it is how do I develop the skill, which is just doing it. It's, I mean, how do you walk? Can you describe it? I mean, you're pretty good at it, right? I hope so. <laughs> how do you talk? I mean, what do you do with your tongue and mouth and teeth and lips to talk? It's kind of hard to describe. 
but you do it, right? You, I mean, I, it sounds like you're doing it. <laughs> and so that's it. It's, it's much more interesting. It's like, how do you figure out how to walk? It's like you practice walking. How do you figure out how to talk? You practice talking. How do you lead? That's what I teach. It's like you practice leading. I mean, leadership is a social emotional thing. So it's, it's useful to have the equivalent of scales to work with as opposed to just reading books about it, which I don't think it's going to help you appreciate others' leadership, but not to lead yourself so well until you actually do it. So that's why, you know, I said before about how I learned how people learned a lot of like performance-based things is you learn by doing. Now you can learn by trial and error purely. It helps if you have a master or someone who's a teacher who's, who can walk you through effective exercises as opposed to just trying and flailing on your own. But in the case of coming up with ideas, write down 10 ideas every day for a long time. And eventually it's going to be really easy. I, and you won't, you probably won't be able to explain how you do it, but if you do it, you will figure it out. And I can tell you if people are listening and saying, well, I can't, you can, you just haven't. Yeah. You really have me uh, pondering right now and, and thinking about that. I've never heard that articulated how you mentioned walking every day and talking every day. And there's these other things in life that you can implement. So thank you for articulating like that. And you have me and I'm, I'm sure the listeners as well, really thinking about that. And where do you- yeah, I couldn't have done 54 burpees a day at the beginning, but now, I mean, yeah, it's hard, but it's you just doing is, it's so much more valuable. I, our culture places a big value on this. As far as education is concerned, our educational system puts a big value on intellect, which is great. I like learning facts and learning knowledge and becoming smarter, but it's not so strong on social and emotional development. And so people don't look at that so much. And people aren't so quick to learn how to do things. In music and sports, they're quick. Like people are like, yeah, of course you learn by doing scales. You learn piano by doing scales. Of course you learn tennis by hitting ground strokes. No one would think in those areas of, if you said, how do you hit a ground stroke? No one would say like, start lecturing you on the anatomy of your arm muscles and skeletal structure. They're like, hit some balls. And everyone knows that there leadership, entrepreneurship, lots of other areas in, that we teach. We, through historical reasons that make a lot of sense, we make the mistake of teaching through lecture. You know, there's a lot of TED Talks on leadership and how to improve your leadership or sales or influence and persuasion or your mood and stuff like that. There's no, as far as I know, last I checked, there are no TED Talks on how to play the piano or how to play tennis or how to play basketball because we know how to do it. We like the, if you want to play Carnegie Hall, it's not easy, but we know how to do it. You start with scales and you start they play the next stuff and you keep going. No. And we, the fact that we have so many Ted talks on leadership tells me that we don't know how to teach it. Otherwise we would just teach it. Well, I think I do. I, my student results suggest that my stuff teaches it effectively, which is to start with the basics, the leadership equivalent of scales, so I'm sorry if I'm getting off topic, but- No, the, actually, this was a, a natural transition right into leadership and your book, Leadership Step-by-Step. Step. I mean, I love how you almost made it an actionable playbook uh, because like you were talking about, people hear certain ideas and concepts, but until you really implement them, you're not gonna gain the most from it. So what first got you started into leadership? The first, my first practice of leadership was starting my first company and- I did the best I could, but it was not effective. So I was not effective at leadership then. And partly as evidence, I got squeezed out of my own company by the investors. Then 
a couple of years later, as part of my recovery, I went to business school because I knew I wanted to, I, I knew I wanted to keep doing things in business. And this is after the PhD in physics. And that's where I learned that there were classes in leadership. So I, I, you know, I did well in those classes. I really liked them because it was opening up a world that I hadn't really thought of before of, of emotions and motivations and relationships. But then when I started practicing it, like they, at, at school, they were like, these are good classes. I'm, I like these classes. It wasn't until after school when I started trying to practice them and realizing that knowing about them didn't help me practice them. So it was almost as if I was learning from scratch afterward how to lead more effectively. And that's when people started telling me, Josh, you've changed. Things are different. Something's going on. You should write this stuff up. You should coach. And that process of writing about it, coaching, and learning how to teach experientially, that's when it became a passion. So that's maybe, I got my MBA, I think 12 years ago. So maybe over the past dozen years is how, when that, well, the dozen years is when I was actively coaching, teaching, things like that. And then I started my first company over 20 years ago. So I guess the whole thing is over 20 years of some sort of practice of leadership and a little over 10 years of teaching and coaching and writing about it. You mentioned learning from scratch and I'd be so curious to hear about when, when you get excited about a new topic, how do you go all in and learn as much as possible on that? At this stage, any new topic is going to, I've done it so many times that every new topic has to displace the old stuff. So coming back from Paris, back in college, physics started being really interesting to me. Like that's, that became what I wanted to do. Then entrepreneurship and starting, you know, I had this idea for a technology and some friends, we were talking about starting a company. So we started that company. And now that displaced going all in on starting a company. That's almost necessary. I, I can't imagine doing it otherwise. Then business school and leadership, uh, going in all on that. Each time I'm incorporating a little bit from before, like it was a tech business. So there was some of my, of the, and, and there's a lot of R&D in it too. So the research that I did in, in graduate school, um, it informed my practice of, of R&D in business. Then R&D in business and, and, and my experience in business informed business school and business school informed leadership and leadership informed the teaching of leadership and now environmental leadership, everything's building on what was before. And each time it checks off more boxes of things that I'm passionate about. I don't know before it comes to me what I'm going to be passionate about because there's lots of things I did that aren't like along the way I started making art. My, my the, the technology I described, it's a, a medium. It, I mean, I guess I should mention the, the technology was these displays that we put on the walls of subway tunnels that when a train goes by between stations, when you look outside the window, it looks like there's a movie screen there. And this, uh, we've had a few competitors and we've grown and shrunk over the years with the, with the economy, but it's a really cool technology or, or it's a medium of expression. And since the company was just doing the profitable stuff, I decided oh, I want to make this stuff for art. And I had gallery shows and museum pieces and I started really exploring self-expression and growth and truth and beauty as an artist. And I'm saying it kind of glibly, but it was a really great journey for me for a while. But eventually I realized other stuff clicked more 
and as valuable as that stuff was, and I have my displays over here that I, I showed a piece at the Museum of Math a couple months ago, which was my first time showing a public showing for a long time. But I, I was poised to go all in on that, but I didn't. It, was, it wasn't as valuable to me as teaching leadership and entrepreneurship. Is there something you think is going to be the next chapter for you? Anything really exciting you right now you're, you're looking forward to consuming and going all in on? Well, leadership in the area and the environment to me is arguably the issue of our time. It's, it's, uh, it, it takes all the leadership that I was, stuff that I was doing for these past dozen years or so and combines a lot of the science from before. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have this feeling like, they want to pollute less than they do, but there's this feeling of, well, if I do, but no one else does, then what difference does it make? So I might as well keep doing what I was doing, which I highlight as to go against your, to act against your values, following some nameless hordes is the exact opposite of leadership. Leadership is acting on your values with some expectations that others will follow you. So people are doing the opposite of leadership. This is a leadership, the technology, yeah, I want I wanted people to keep developing technologies for battery and solar and stuff to, to decrease in cost and be more easily to implement. But ultimately, this is a behavioral issue. If we keep, if every time we make something more comfortable, we just grow, then every time we make something comfortable, we'll, we'll, we'll make it materially miserable again. I'm oversimplifying here. But if we don't change our behavior... The, you know, it's not just global warming. It's like the fish in the ocean and topsoil and extinctions and rainforests and overpopulation, all these different issues. And I think there's billions of people who want to change but can't see how or demotivate themselves from doing it. And I think that's the role of a leader is to help make something meaningful for people so they don't feel alone. They don't feel lonely. You could have a billion people. You could have 7 billion people. All of them want to change, but none of them changing because they're waiting for someone else to change first. I think this is, I don't know how long it's going to, I'm going to be in this one, but I, I don't see myself deviating from it for a while. I'm getting, the more I do it, the more I get into it. That's my podcast. It's probably going to be like, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting invited to talk about more and more. And I think it's the big missing thing, leadership in the environment. And it's not, you know, leadership, if people out there, I don't know if people listening are thinking leadership means the guy with the corner office in a suit telling people what to do. That's not what I'm talking about. Leadership in, in, that I'm talking about is how to connect with what people value and, and, and connect what they value to behavior to follow up on that. So they live by their values. I'm not, I don't want to, in no way do I want to tell people what to do. I'm working with people who want to change, but don't know how. And I want to enable that for them. It's very rewarding for me, for them. I mean, if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear it. Most people afterward are like, this was harder than I thought, but I'm really glad I did it. I wish I'd done it earlier. And they thank me for them doing work because the work is meaningful. When you're talking about these great leaders, who comes to front of mind for you? In what context? Which great leaders? So you mentioned that most of the time people think of a leader as the, the guy in the big corner office, but that's not what it is at all. So I want you to, to reframe that and, and talk about a leader who might be doing things a little differently, but for you is having profound impacts on the world. Oh, well, I mean, top of mind for me, I mean, like, okay, so last night there was that ad with uh, Martin Luther King, the, the voiceover of Martin Luther King, which was like a stirring speech. And uh, 
to, and people criticize it for like hawking cars, but be that as it may. So Martin Luther King, before him, everybody wanted, he, I mean, when I think about him, what, what he was trying to get was freedom, justice, equality. Everybody wants freedom, justice, and equality. It's not like before him, people were like, we don't want these things. He didn't create people's goals. He didn't create the, the problems or, or the solutions for that matter. He enabled people to act on these things. So he showed people, like, it's not obvious that going to jail would create freedom, but that's how nonviolent civil disobedience works. It's one part of it. So he was able to connect an activity to people's values or people's values to an activity that would get the job done. We're not done. I mean, we're far from it, but in many ways, we're a lot farther along than we were before. And people, he was able to create meaning for people to go to jail, to sit at a lunch counter with someone with a different skin color, to ride on a bus. It was, uh, you know, to not sit in the backseat of the bus. These were things that absent, I mean, maybe there are other ways to do it, but one way to do it is for a leader to show how if we all do this together, we can achieve a goal. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it'll take a long time. But if we go to jail, then we will get freedom. And this is how it's going to work. Many people disagreed, many people did it in different ways, but that was, that's one way to do it. That's leadership that was not telling people what to do, but showing them a, a way that if they acted, they could achieve these things. Obviously he wasn't alone and he didn't create a lot of like nonviolent non civil disobedience came before him. I mean, he had Gandhi and Thoreau and people like that before him. So it's not just him, but that's an example. I mean, Mandela similar not exactly the same. Gandhi, similar, not exactly the same. Um, I was just talking about with the client Eisenhower and talking about D-Day. Very different. There he's got some command and control, but he actually was not, mo he wasn't, there's some command and control being in the military. You can tell someone what to do and they, they have to follow a direct order, but that's not how he worked. I don't know. I mean, Oprah Winfrey is a tremendous leader. She's also not telling people what to do. I, I don't know what it's like within her organization or organizations. But she creates meaning for people and she, she does things that people see that if you change your behavior, your life will be better. No, I love hearing your, your thoughts around that and, and around great leadership. So it was, it was very cool to hear you dissect your thought process around that and, and what they're doing and, and what these great leaders have done in the past because it, it's so important that you mentioned these environmental changes along with the leadership. And I, I appreciate you bringing this to, to people's consciousness. So I want to jump into a few quick hit questions. Uh, I just kind of want to know, right, what you, what's the first thing you think of when I ask you these questions? So the first one would be, what are you better at than anyone else? I don't think I'm better at any, I don't think I have any particular talents or I, I everyone I meet, I learn from. It's just like people have, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, People ask that, and I don't, I've never met anyone I couldn't learn something from. It's, I, I don't think I, I mean, I, I work pretty hard to get a lot of things that I get, but anyone can do that. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean, it, your humility there. I mean, you've accomplished so much, but, but that's your response there. So I love hearing that. What haven't you accomplished yet? <laughs> One thing I've never done is I've never worked my way up the corporate ladder. I don't really have an interest in doing that, but a lot of people say, how do you get done what you're doing? And I'm like, well, I don't do stuff that I don't care about. And when you learn to solve problems that other people will reward you for because you make their lives better, that's, you know, to me, that's the heart of entrepreneurship. Then you can, 
I'm always doing things that people value. So, and, and creating deals with them to do it so that I'm not like, I'm, I don't think I've ever missed a bill. Like I always pay my credit card on time and never had any trouble with that. So I, I make sure that I have enough to live on, but, um, uh, I don't know. Did that answer the question? Yeah, no, certainly. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? The nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I just saw my mom last night and I'm like, being born. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've had some professors. Uh, this is, I don't know if this is the nicest, but one thing that comes to mind, I've, I've had some professors who have recognized an aptitude I had in, in certain subjects. Like I had a, a physics professor, or he was an astronomy professor actually. And I was taking his class and I was, when you start the major in your junior year, you're taking classes with freshmen who are ahead of you because most people, you don't like casually take physics. It's a, it's an intense major. And I took, after I took the first class, the test, the first test in his class, he called me over and he was like, you, this was like, I, you weren't the best in the class by far, but way better than I would have expected given I know your background. And that gave me a lot of encouragement. I really liked that subject. And, uh, you know, he didn't have to do that. So he, he noticed something that mattered to me and encouraged me in a way that was not fake and showed some extra attention. I don't know. I had a, a, other professors who've done things like that. Well, Joshua, this has been absolutely fascinating. I mean, the way you've made me think about different problems and how you've implemented Sitchas, I, I know myself and a lot of the listeners are, are going to go through their day and see how we can incorporate some of these things, but you have a ton going on. Can we link the listeners up with some of the stuff that you currently have? Yeah. I mean, if, for anyone who wants to, if, if people, if, if you want to be like this, I, I mean, the book is, is it walks you through a set of exercises that develop the social and emotional skills of leadership that you're not, I don't know of any other resource that does it. If you just read the book, it's kind of nice, but you have to, if you do the exercises, it's like you will, it would be the equivalent of, of doing, of reaching Carnegie Hall stage. And so the book is leadership step-by-step. Step. Most people get it at Amazon. Uh, if you're in New York, there's a couple signed copies actually at the Barnes and Noble and Union Square. Um, my podcast, Leadership in the Environment, is at joshuaspodek.com slash podcast. And it's J-O-S-H-U-A-S-P-O-D-E-K.com. And, and joshuaspodek.com is where I post every day. So yeah, I think those are the big things. There's the podcast, the blog, the book. Eventually, there'll be another book. If people are really into my stuff, then I have my courses at Spodek Academy. But I would start with the other stuff and work my way up to that. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to get all that linked up in the show notes. Once again, Joshua, can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. Thank you. I mean, I, I've had a great time and you're leading me, so I appreciate your leadership. Thank you. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. 
In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sand Blast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Looking to freshen up your wardrobe for the summer season? Having trouble finding a brand whose products are functionally built to move and sweat in, but designed with a casual aesthetic aimed at everyday life? Then Viore is the clothing brand you've been looking for. Viore merges technical clothing with a West Coast vibe that looks and fits great. Viore's motto is built to move in, styled for life. They have a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore has incorporated innovative fabrics that feature anti-odor finishes, moisture wicking, and quick dry finishes. My favorite being Sea Cell, which is a sustainably sourced fiber that uses a blend of algae and wood pulp to create the most comfortable shirts you've ever felt. They really are, they're incredible. They're also anti-odor and filled with vitamins and nutrients that are released when you sweat. To receive 25% off, yes, that's 25% off your order, head to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com and use discount code W-G-Y-T. If at any point you're unsatisfied with your purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your entire order with a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. VioriClothing.com, discount code WGYT for 25% off your order. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.